0: But if
1: you have a change of heart
2: This album is 50 years old uh, today. Pretzel Logic is the third album by US band Steely Dan. A huge success. The album's had single here. Ricky, don't lose that number. Steely Dan might not mean a lot to many, but they have a diehard legion of fans. Taylor Swift will have the Swifties, but Steely Dan have Danheads who wear Steely Dan T-shirts and go to every possible Steely Dan concert they can go to. You might be a Danhead yourself. Uh, Aside from George Benson, this was the second best concert I ever uh, went to. I mean, it's really uh, quite something. If you are a Danhead, text me 2101. I don't think
3: they're called Danheads. I think they're just called Stoners.
2: (laughs) Ah, Andy, Andy, Andy. Well, whatever they're called, they love the the great jazz funk rock of Steely Dan. Um, Quite a few are recalling this Bob Marley concert. I too was at this Bob Marley Western Stream concert. What is a little spoken of was how amazing Rita Marley was. Life-changing for a young teenage girl seeing strong women at the front of stage beautiful and talented and just as influential as uh Bob Marley. Oh here we go another one Engelbert Humbledink Althea Center <laughs> he played 10 guitars three times It bought the house down and guess what Panelfano I was there and it was unbelievable <laughs>
4: He was ahead uh, at the mission in Hawkes Bay yeah, well, too. Oh, the
2: mission in Hawkes <laughs> yeah. Bay. everything's ahead at the mission of Hawkes Bay you have Type, a cup have a couple yeah. of wines there it all you know roll it could, down the hill it, it could be ten <laughs> cc um but no, Engelbert Humberdink that gig was uh, uh, Unreal. Anyway, speaking of gigs, <laughs> more than 93% of Eden Park's neighbours want Auckland Stadium Eden Park to host at least one Taylor Swift concert in new survey shows. This survey polled more than 1,500 people in the Mount Eden-Kingland area. It was commissioned by the Eden Park Trust. One of the factors that Swift couldn't come was resource consent, said CEO Eden Park's. Nick Sortner. Uh, It was only a couple of years ago that the first ever musical concert in Eden Park was held. Uh, That was 660. With us is Shona Tag, the Eden Park Residents Association spokeswoman. Shona, welcome. Thank
1: you very much for having me.
2: Does this survey response square with what you are hearing from other Eden Park residents?
1: Yeah, so the Eden Park Residents Association is an independent organisation and we know where our members live in relation to Eden Park uh, we surveyed them back in 2020 prior to the first concert of 660, and then again after that concert of 660, so that was in 2021. And our data at that time said 94% of people were supportive of concerts before the, uh, before the submission, and after the concert, 94% of people were still supportive of concerts uh, based on our membership.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, I mean, it's, that's an incredible figure, really, because I, I bring this up because there is that other uh, association, right, Eden Park Neighbours Association, that, uh, you know, did have uh, problems back in, what, 2020 about um, constants being held at Eden Park, right?
1: Correct. There are some residents that still don't like that, but they are probably what we'd like to call a vocal minority based on what our data is telling us.
2: Do you feel that Eden Park could and should be used more or swept the asset more in terms of music?
1: In terms of music and any event, our uh, members are telling us they just they, they've moved into our community because Eden Park is part of it, and they want to see Eden Park used for more events in general. So whether that's concerts, whether that's rugby, cricket, anything else, whether it's Tmatatini, the FIFA World Cup, all of those events are fantastic events, and uh, we want to see the stadium used. You might
2: say that uh, with Taylor Swift or um, you know Dire Straits, but what if it was ACDC? <laughs>
1: The <laughs> to be honest it doesn't actually matter who the artist is. Well you the say that is.
2: now <laughs> I, I,
1: I say that now and maybe because it depends on my music taste compared to your music taste yeah. um, however uh, the thing is with Eden Park we get noticed around who's going to perform right and I don't get noticed that my neighbour two doors down is going to have a big party on Saturday night and it's going to go to two in the morning and I get, have to listen to their music choices at whatever decibel they want to play it at at Eden Park I can go that's an artist I want to go and see, it's an artist I may want to be on my back deck for, or it's an artist that, you know what, I really don't want to be here, so I'm going to go and find uh, something else to do and find some friends to go and hang out with. Okay. You've got the opportunity to plan, I guess is what I'm trying to say.
2: Andy.
3: Yeah, no, if um, Taylor Swift wanted to come to New Zealand, it would be such an easy trip on a private jet. Um, but I can see that the Melbourne gig the other day had about 280,000 Uh, fans watching so uh, what's the limit at Eden Park I don't think it's anywhere near that
1: (laughs) Uh, so you're saying that there was 280 fans in the stadium at at Uh,
3: 280,000 I think the number was in Melbourne yeah
1: wow I mean to be perfectly honest I've got no idea around uh, how much the whole area could hold I believe the capacity
4: of the stadium is somewhere around 50,000 but you'd have to check that Mm -hmm. oh Jenny I was kind of interested in this from, I guess, the ongoing operational costs of these sorts of big stadiums, and we have them dotted around the country, don't we? And they, you know, getting the, the capital in to, to build them is one thing, but it's always the ongoing costs that's the niggly issue for either councils or, or CCOs that, that have to own and manage them. So, from my point of view, if the if the neighbours are are happy and they clearly some of them clearly are, um, you know, I think looking at how we use infrastructure like Eden Park and other and other big stadiums uh, in a more diverse way is a really good thing.
1: 100% agree. could
4: couldn't say it better. Otherwise, be they end up yeah they end up being these sort of white elephants that are used you know three or four times a year or possibly more but you know and so so because it 's a real issue facing a lot of councils at the moment. How do they look after and maintain uh these these inf- these big you know social infrastructure on on, on that
2: Shona, are you amazed that I actually uh, <laughs> it's taken so long to get a music out. it was only in twenty twenty one the first music, they've since had Ed Sheehan, Ed Sheehan, oh, the two sold out shows, 100,000 people. Um, but it's, but it's, this has been a real ongoing issue for Eden Park.
1: Yeah, so to do, my understanding is, and I'm not across the technical details of it, but it's to do with the resource consent process. So Eden Park, unlike other stadiums around New Zealand, um, has limits around what they can do in terms of how they can operate. Um, And part of that has been around originally they weren't allowed concerts. So, therefore, they went um, and campaigned and put through for uh, Reza's consent, and we supported that uh, with six concerts, and that allowed 660 and the other artists that have subsequently come. What they're saying now is they want more than six concerts, and artists have changed with regards to how they perform, trying to do more shows in one place rather than moving around the country. So... Uh, that I think that's what they're here, what they're looking for, and partially why they've surveyed uh, the residents uh, to, to get different views to see kind of what, what is the feeling within the neighbourhood.
2: Okay, but, so what, what, what's the next step? Um, is it likely that Eden Park will get uh, resource consent uh, for playing up to twelve shows in a calendar year?
1: I couldn't comment on that. Um, there's, a, there's a I guess, a legal process that they need to go through, and there's people that need to kind of make their decisions and submit stuff. The last process involved doing sound checks and uh, surveying people, getting all sorts of uh, professional opinions and So that process would need to happen to go through, just like any other resource consent um, application. And they need to go through that, and that will then determine whether they could get 12 or more concerts through.
2: Okay, very good to have you on the program, Shona. Kiara. This That's Shona Tag, the Eden Park Residents Association. We might try and get the Eden Park Neighbours Association on, see what uh, they make of Shona's comments Said, I, I'm just loving your comments so much about your music gigs that uh, I can't stop reading about. I promise I will, but we might uh, chuck <laughs> some in the Friday mailbag. bag. What about this one? I never actually went to the concert, but was always pleased to have been on the phones overnight when people rang in to make donations for live aid. Knowing oh, yeah. that I played a small part with millions all over the world. I don't think any concert will ever top uh, Live Aid. So thank you for that. Uh, Also um, really wonderful um, feedback regarding both Andy and Jenny's uh, I've been thinking yes to both IBDs today. We experienced similar incredible care for our lovely mum with Alzheimer's at Orongo Rest Time in Campbell's by Auckland. And I agree wholeheartedly on the thoughts of Andy about landlords using their tax breaks and refunds for good. The whole situation beggars beliefs, says Bex. Although Chrissy says, arrogant of your panellist, Andy, to assume that landlords are fat cats ripping people off. Hard work, (laughs) saving, sacrifice, Andrew. That's how many people are there, including myself, Andy. Yes, of course.
3: Not all landlords, just the evil ones. So
2: perhaps some of this hard work, saving and sacrifice should be applied by the panellist. Instead of criticising qualities of people who have a motivation to be independent financially, Andy.
3: Independent financially, it doesn't sound independent if you're forcing someone to pay you like a thousand dollars a week, but that's fine, that's fine, no worries.
2: It's 15 away from five (laughs) the panel, uh, RNZ National. Now, last week, Woolworth's director of stores, Jason Stockel, apologized following a number of incidents with rodents in their supermarkets. About a week ago, videos surfaced of a mouse. Climbing around the Deli section for Christchurch countdown, soon followed by multiple reports of multiple rats being caught in a countdown in Dunedin. Stockhol's apology received mixed reactions, with some accusing him of shifting the blame onto their pest management contractor. And the capture of another rat this morning has further delayed the reopening, already closed for 10 days due to rodent. Infestation With us uh, is Damien Mather, someone who's looked over this. He's a senior lecturer uh, in the Otago University Business School. Damien, kia ora.
5: Be all right, everybody?
2: I can't recall in my memory a situation like this regarding rodent infestation in supermarkets in New Zealand. Can you?
5: Um... Perhaps I shouldn't dish the dirt uh, so much, but um, pr- probably it's come to light because of the prevalence of um, smartphones with really good cameras ah. and, uh, and everything like that, you know. So it's probably not fair to, you know, uh, go back fair into point. history and say, oh, there's, yeah. But, um, but yes, uh, I mean, any scandals are uh, bad, bad for a business, mm. bad for a brand. Yeah. Well,
2: well uh, on that then, what was your, I guess, snap reaction to Jason Stockwell's apology?
5: Um, if I could just correct you, correct you slightly, I, I think my words in an email that I'd sent to a, a, uh, a journalist from Stuff who was uh, corresponding with Jason at the time was that it was that mentioning uh, the name of their main pest control uh, subcontractor and, and other entities or agencies that might be helping you know, evaluate you know, or, or critique their current procedures, I don't think it's helpful. And it may be, I said it may be perceived by some customers as them uh, uh. attempting to uh, defuse blame. Uh, I don't think they're trying. I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't ascribe that intention to Jason, um, but uh, but it can have that impression on the customers yeah. when they read it.
2: Yeah. Uh, we've all been following this, haven't we, Jenny? What's your, what's your take or your questions on this particular issue uh, there uh, in Hawke's Bay?
4: Um, well, I, my question really was around, um, you know, do, is it your, your opinion, Damien, that you think the the apology is enough? Because I listened to the apology and thought to myself, heck, you're refunding that particular customer the cost of their groceries, and, you know, who knows how much that was. It could have been $50, it could have been $350. Um, and when you think about how much money we hear that the supermarket owners make, and the kind of... Uh, duopoly that they operate under, I just sort of, my view was that it was a bit of a pathetic apology and there wasn't much compensation to the people who had purchased food from out of the deli after a mouse had been running around in that space. It seemed to me to be quite mean.
5: Yes, I agree. And that, unfortunately, will be the perception that uh, the customers in general will take um, and a good apology, according to the research that uh, my, some of my former colleagues and I, I think they've all retired now, I'm the last one left standing <laughs> in my department. But we did research this uh, quite, quite thoroughly. And a good apology should include uh, a reasonable offer of recompense, something of value that you're offering your customers that have been affected by whatever scandal you know, or, or failure or whatever that's gone on. And it's not just the customer that saw the mouse... Or the rat, or whatever it's everybody. It's it's the customers that couldn't get to the store because it's been closed down for weeks, and um, and maybe they yeah. maybe especially the customers with mobility issues, um, uh, you know, or poverty and things like that. It it's, could be really affecting them badly.
4: Yeah, it's also the, the it's also the, the employees. I thought as well because I'm actually quite petrified of rats and mice, but um, you know, having to, to work in that environment, you know, how were they compensated? I, I don't know what that looked like either.
5: Well, maybe we shouldn't be seeing any of the communication between the the management, the higher ups, and uh, the employees. That's something that they should be dealing with privately themselves. But I agree, it's I I, I feel for them as well. Okay. It's right. not great. Yeah. And yeah,
3: Andy. Got it, Damien. Yeah, there was a really good interview by the ABC in Australia with the CEO of uh, Woolworths um, over there, which is just worth checking out. He's a bit arrogant. Um, but when Woolworths announced they were rebranding the Countdown Supermarkets to Woolworths, um, my first thought was surely the millions of dollars in profits they make could be better spent. And here we have two clear examples of poor investment in their supermarkets. Um, my question is, uh, and you might be aware, just being in the area, uh, what is the impact on Dunedin at the moment, not having access to a supermarket for over a week?
5: Yeah, um, it's, it is a bit of a cluster of issues uh, for the uh, the brand, and, and we even and consumers will be asking themselves, which brand are we talking about? Woolworths? Are we talking about Countdown? Right, because they've got this rebranding exercise going on, and when you read some of the communications. From Jason and others uh, like him, um, it's it can be very confusing for the customers to to uh, absorb and to and to have a sort of like a unified idea of well who's talking to me is it Countdown or is it Woolworths and um, th- there's a whole lot of things it just makes it just gives um, the the overall opportunity for more things to go wrong for the brand for the supermarket which, whichever we want to call it. Um, to, to go wrong uh, more frequently or, or with more disastrous consequences because these two things are being conflated at the moment.
2: Damien, nice to have you on the program. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. That's are uh, Damien May, the senior lecturer uh, in the Otago University Business School there. yeah, Another rat found this morning, uh, delaying that reopening there. Uh, already closed for 10 days due to rodent infestation. So, yeah, good point, Andy, on uh, your locals shut down. I know the Uh, supermarket quite well actually so where where does one go and shop 8 away from 5 we might do a take B uh, of um, your most memorable gigs because there have been such fantastic texts coming through, just another one Uh, Thelonious Monk 1965 at the New Plymouth Opera House I didn't know Thelonious Monk ever came to New Zealand. There you go. How about that? Um, To this, on a final note, with Jenny Giblin and Andy McCombs. To finish on, about a year ago, uh, one uh, young Whangarei lawyer, Keegan Jones, launched a free legal clinic for the Northland community. It came after he landed a job at WRMK Lawyers. He noticed a significant gap for informal legal help. He worked alongside Hina Health Trust and one hundred one five five Community Law uh, Taitokoro to make it happen. They had a very good turnout. So moving forward, Keegan wants to make those clinics weekly. With us is Keegan Jones. Kia ora, Keegan. Good well,
0: Thanks for having me today.
2: It's a pleasure. I found this interesting, you know, sort of a, a young lawyer decides to sort of help in what way they can. What really led you to start these Free legal clinics.
0: Sure. I mean, in a, to make a short story, a long story short, I originally from, I'm originally from Orphan. I grew up here. Um, I went to high school here. Um, and then I did my studies down in Canterbury. And I always had a, I guess, a calling to come back home. And so when I did, um, and being in the area I'm mean, in, being law, I saw that there was a clear need, um, especially for our region, that free legal clinics could be um, really helpful I've done that first and foremost when I actually volunteered for one of the community law centre clinics, which ran once for me um, in, in, the, in my first year of practising law. And um, in that time that I was there, I helped about three to four people, yeah. um, which was really helpful for them. And I didn't get pulled up again. And I was like, well, I feel like there's a clear need here. What if we had a consistent amount of clinics for our region, which we've been doing so since the start of last year?
2: Very cool. What a nice way to uh, end the program, Jenny, Uh, setting up a a weekly, not just a one-off, but a weekly free legal clinic.
4: I just love the story. Keegan, you're such a hero. Honestly, this is such awesome work. A couple of things that I love particularly about it. One is that you've come back to your to your hometown. I love it. Isn't yeah. it great when people go away and then they can bring their resources back to places like Whangarei and people that come into other provincial parts of New Zealand. It's just fantastic. But also, you know, you're giving back and we need more people like you in New Zealand. Our, our volunteer numbers in New Zealand are declining and they haven't got back to pre-COVID days for a variety of reasons so to me I think you're amazing this is a fantastic story and your community is so much richer because you're there
0: oh, thank you so much I really appreciate those kind words Andy
3: yeah Kia Keegan it is such a fantastic resource that you're providing for Whangarei and it should be replicated up and down the country especially in rural and provincial regions um Mate, I've got a couple of questions actually. Um, what, what kind of issues sure. are people most commonly mm. bringing to your clinic and are you still finding that there are barriers for people who are wanting legal help?
0: That's a great question and a question we get um, asked often. Um, to answer your first question is a lot of areas of law that we find that we um, deal with are family and criminal law. Mm-hmm. Um, so as a lawyer, those are quite authentic law issues that you're dealing with. Um, and quite confronting as well, especially for those that are coming into our clinics. Um, and in terms of access to justice and, I guess, the barriers, barriers associated with that, we do need more legal aid lawyers in this country. Um, it's a bit difficult for me because I actually, I'm actually practised as a commercial lawyer, so, you know, entering into that civil legal aid sphere is definitely an opportunity that I wish to, to seek. But um, We definitely need more legal aid lawyers out there, um, and, and there's, yeah, there's a clear need for it. What's the turnout like? Turn sure I mean, it's, 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 each, each week it gets more and more. Um, uh, when we first started the clinics, it was really busy. Um, and then over that winter period um, from June, July, um, again, it was just consistent numbers. Well, Last year we had around, we're averaging around five to six people per clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's looking like it'll be the same this year.
2: Um, oh, Jenny, go.
4: I was just going to ask you, Keegan, if you, um, is this something that you think um, that you might be able to reach out to some contemporaries you have in other parts of New Zealand and kind of encourage them to to stretch this model out?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I've had a lot of lawyers across the country reach out to me saying, hey, look, I want to start my own um, legal clinic for my community, whether it be for their uh, marae, well, yes. working with their marae, the local iwi um, I'm currently talking to a Matai walker, walker, which is a Maori in um, in Auto Tahi Christchurch, and trying to facilitate some lawyers that I actually studied with at Canterbury to run their own clinic um, down in the Christchurch, and we've also potentially got one getting up and started, getting up and running up in the Bay of Plenty or or, or So there's a lot of people out there that are really wanting to volunteer, um, which is really awesome to see.
4: Fantastic, oh,
2: Keegan. Wonderful stuff! All the very best. We'll keep in touch with you to see how things are, are going uh, in Tetsai uh, Tokoro for you. But uh, for now, Akio, thanks for your time.
0: Absolutely, thank you so much for
2: your time, guys. There you go. Uh, pr- pretty, pretty cool. A eh, team. It's,
4: it's oh, you know that's, that's uh, extraordinary. Yeah. I just think someone to come up with that initiative and, um, and 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 to deliver those services into his community just brilliant. Mm. And any
3: lawyers listening right now. Do your part, eh? Go volunteer at your local Citizens Advice Sorry, Bureau. Sorry, Andy, I'm
2: hearing Steady Dan. I've got I to wrap that it up. I thought was just me. I've got to wrap that <laughs> <it> up. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fantastic both. Andy McCombs, Jenny uh, Giblin, thank you for your time. I'm Wallace Chapman. Thank you, Wallace. Uh, see you tomorrow, 3.45. Lisa Owen and Checkpoint next. Have a good night.
3: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news.